0: Good morning and welcome to Faith on Hill's online Sunday morning service. We gather together every Sunday morning at 10 30 a.m. both online and in person. Now in person we gather at our building on Hill Road in the Oak Grove neighborhood. Uh, We have kids church worship through song and prayer. We study the Bible together and then throughout the week we gather in small groups. Online you can find us on youtube spotify apple Podcasts. you just have to search faith on hill church and then you can subscribe follow like do all that kind of stuff you can search at faith on hill on social media and you can check out faithonhill.com where we have all of our online content uh, schedule events and if you want to support the work that god is doing here if you consider this your home church or uh, you've been blessed by the ministry then you can check out our giving tab as well now We are starting a new book of the Bible this Sunday. We're going to be studying the book of Joshua. So,
1: open to the book of Joshua. We'll be starting chapter 1. Well, I have three main goals for this morning. The
0: first is to kind of give a recap. This is how we got to this point in the Bible. So that we understand everything that has set the scene and set the stage for the book of Joshua. My second goal is to talk about how we read, study, wrestle with, and understand the Bible, especially the
1: Old Testament, as Christians, New Testament believers. And last of all, the book of Joshua, especially this first part,
0: almost demands that I talk about things that are controversial in our day,
1: including what's currently happening in the Holy Land between Israel, And the Palestinians. So, those are the things we're going to try to talk about today. I want to say from the start,
0: especially for that last part, those are controversial subjects. And so, what we like is dialogue rather than directive. You know, I could say, This is what the Bible says, and you have to believe it, or else you are bad or something. I'd rather have conversations. And that's why our small groups are so awesome, because we can talk about these things together and have a dialogue, and go back and forth, and there can be pushback, and that's awesome. So, if I say something that you're like, hey, wait a minute, mister, what are you talking about? My email is adam at faithonhill.com. You know where we are on Sunday mornings. We'd love to connect, to chat, to converse, to have dialogue. So, that being said, Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, then, you and all these people that's speaking of the people of Israel, the people that have, you know, they got out of Egypt, they crossed over, they're they're getting ready to go in. He says, I want you to get it ready to cross over the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites, and I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon. From the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea to the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. And as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land that I swore to their ancestors to give them. The basic scene setting the stage. In Genesis chapter 12, there was this guy, we know him as Abraham. Back then, he was called Abram. But God gave the promised land to Abraham and his descendants. And you can go back and read Genesis chapter 12, especially verses 1 through 9. And God says to Abraham, hey, this is where I will place you and your descendants, and I will make you a great people, and through you, all the nations will be blessed. And we know that through
1: the Jewish people, specifically through their Messiah, Jesus, all people have been blessed. Then,
0: later on, the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 46, Jacob, he's the grandson of Abraham. There's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, and he had 12 sons, and you might know them from the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jacob takes his family, because God told him to, go down to Egypt. There was a massive Famine in the land, and God said, hey, get out of here, go down to Egypt, I'm going to make you a great people there, and then your descendants will come back
1: to the land that I promised your father Abraham. Then, in Exodus chapter 1, that's the next book of the Bible, we're told that after a time, a new pharaoh came to power in Egypt, and he didn't know any of the history.
0: He didn't know or care all of the things that Joseph, the son of Jacob, had done to help uh, to help Egypt and to help save the Egyptian people. He didn't know why there was this big group of herdsmen living in the eastern part of his lands. He didn't care. He enslaved them. He put them to work, and he tried to wipe them out as a people through forced
1: labor. That was sort of the setup, and then of course. Moses came along, and God raised up a deliverer
0: named Moses. And you've seen the movies, you've heard the story. Moses came to the Pharaoh in Egypt and said, Let my people go. And he didn't listen, so God sent plagues, and then eventually the people were freed, and they left, and they were right camped up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh sends his armies to wipe them out. God miraculously delivers them. They cross the sea and they make their way towards the promised land. Only they didn't get there right away. Oh, I mean, they got there pretty quick. But then they sinned against God, and God said, all right, this generation will not enter the promised land. So they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until the times God said, all right, now it's time. Now you're ready to go, and this is it. 40 years after they had
1: escaped enslavement in Egypt, 40 years after they had crossed the Red Sea, And now, a new leader is here on the scene.
0: Moses is dead. Joshua is the new leader that God has raised up. And he says, get ready. You're going to go into the land
1: I have promised you. Now, whether you know it or not, there are two main ways that Western Christianity interprets the Bible. Now,
0: I'm not saying that these ways are not used or embraced by other parts of the church worldwide, but I'm not going to speak for them. I would just say for Western Christianity, American Christianity, that the two main ways we interpret or understand the Bible is one is what we might call allegorical, metaphorical, um, people who are, ex- and, and this is true of, of a lot of different types of Christians, people who are extremely Liberal in their theology might take a metaphorical or allegorical approach, just the same as somebody who's very conservative in their theology. And then there is the inductive way. It's it's literal, but it's a way of literally interpreting the Bible. Observation, interpretation, application, and what that means is you observe, you read. Uh, you know, we just read the first several verses of chapter one, and you read. Oh, okay, well you know, hey, Joshua is the new leader, Moses is dead, and then God gives them a clear territorial boundary. Everywhere your foot touches, from the Euphrates to the Mediterranean, from the desert up to Lebanon, that is the promised land. That is the land I'm giving you. There's a clear territorial boundary. So observation is, hey, this is the land God has given them. Or observation might be like God gave Uh, promise to Abraham. This is the promised land. God told Jacob to take his family to Egypt. Genesis uh, 46, Exodus chapter 1. Hey, there's a new Pharaoh. He enslaves everybody, right? These are things you observe. Have you ever heard someone say, maybe it was a preacher, maybe it was a family member, maybe it was somebody online, whatever. But have you ever heard somebody say, the Bible clearly says. The scripture clearly teaches. That's like a uh, preacher go-to. It's like, if you really want to drive the point home, hey, this is something you better listen to. This is something that's non-negotiable. The Bible clearly says. Some things are clearly in the Bible. The Bible clearly says in Genesis chapter 12 that God gave a promise to Abraham. The Bible clearly says in Genesis 46 that God told Jacob to take his family down to Egypt. Those are things the Bible clearly says. In inductive Bible study in a literalist kind of way of engaging with the Bible. We would call that observation. These are the things that the
1: Bible really does clearly say. That Oh, this happened. Here in Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses,
0: the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' is a Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. Observation would say this: Moses died. There's a new guy that God's talking to as the leader, Joshua, and they're getting ready to go into the Promised Land, what we would think of as the land of Israel. That's observation. The Bible clearly here says that Moses is dead. Clearly says that God's talking to this guy Joshua, who was Moses's like right hand man, and now God's talking to him. And then God's telling them get ready to go across the Jordan River into the land I've promised you. That's observation. Those are the things the Bible has
1: clearly said. The problem is, what do you do next? Remember I said the other way that Western Christianity tends to
0: engage with the Bible is metaphorical or allegorical? Some people do that and they don't even realize They see what the Bible is saying here. Moses is dead. Joshua seems to be the guy that God's talking to now as the leader, and they're going to go cross into the promised land. And then they skip the next step, interpretation, and they go straight into application. That's the third step of inductive Bible study. Observation, interpretation, application. And they go straight to application, and it becomes just a big metaphor, just a big allegory. It's a story that fits whatever I want it to fit. Oh. It's a new season. Can you see how a preacher might come at this? It's a new season. There's a new generation rising up. As the boomers move aside, Moses is now gone, and now Gen X or the Millennials or whoever, they're stepping up. They're the Joshua generation. They're the ones going to take
1: this new land that God has given them. Application. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's what's happening. Maybe there's some
0: application that you can take from it, a way to take the Bible, what it says, and apply it
1: to our lives. But is that what the Bible's talking about? I mean, how many books, songs, movies, whatever, have been
0: made, written, talked about, sung about, about facing your giants based off of the story of David and Goliath? But is that the point of David and Goliath? Is Is the whole story of David and Goliath meant to be some metaphor for, like, you know, having courage and bravery and facing your fears? Or was there deeper things going on? And maybe all that courage and bravery and facing your fears
1: is part of it, but it's maybe not the main point of the story? When we talk about how we wrestle and engage with the Bible,
0: if I bring my own application to what I see and then just start. Making it fit wherever I can make it fit into my life. Sometimes it's good.
1: Sometimes it's obvious. Sometimes it works. But you know what? I'm in danger of just making the Bible say whatever I want it to say. Think about this. Okay. Observation. God told them.
0: uh, God God is speaking to this new leader. God's telling them to go in, and he gives them a clear territorial boundary. That's observation, right? Now, let's say that I skip interpretation, what does this mean, and I go straight to application, how does this fit my world? Can't you see how Christians would use this and have maybe used this over the centuries to support things like, I don't know, manifest destiny? This idea that white European people living on the east coast of America had some sort of manifest right or destiny? To spread
1: westward and then kick out all of the people that had already been living here? Maybe. We skip interpretation and we just go to application, and you can see how people would take things and twist them, abuse them to their own agendas. And this is tricky. I spoke when we went through the book of Colossians a few months ago. You know, we had. Philippians,
0: Colossians, and we did our Christmas series, and now we're here. Or in the book of Colossians, I talked where there's this section in Colossians that talks about slaves. And I've spoken freely about how
1: that's one of the hardest things for me to grasp, to submit myself to as a Christian, living in 2024 America. Somebody who's firmly anti-slavery, firmly anti-racism. How do you justify that? I don't get it. It's hard. It's hard for me to grapple with. Yet I know that there were Christians, Christians who took verses like Colossians and they took the
0: observation, they skipped the interpretation, they went straight to the application, and they used it, twisted it, abused it as a way to keep slavery
1: going, to support it, to justify it here in America. And in the same way, you can read this and an observation
0: is I read the first uh, six verses of Joshua chapter one. I read the first six verses, and it's a fair inter- observation to say God wanted his people to invade a land, conquer it,
1: and drive out its inhabitants. He says, I'm going to give you all the Hittite country. Where are the Hittites going to go? And you could see how places like this could be used by people, twisted, abused, to justify American
0: imperialism, to justify our conquests here and
1: abroad. You could see how people might use or abuse the Scripture for their own, let's call it, self-serving point of view. You could see how people would use and abuse
0: the Scripture I'm going to go and I'm going to take this land even if God hasn't
1: actually told them to do that. I'm going to go and do this thing. I'm going to be like Joshua even if God hasn't told them to do that. Because if we skip the interpretation, what does this mean? And we go straight to the application then we become the metaphor people
0: and it's just a metaphor for whatever I want it to be. Is this story about this or is it just about whatever I want it to be? And here's the problem. When we start leaving the scripture to our own personal interpretation, when we start taking the scripture, the word of God, the Bible, and say it just means whatever I want it to mean, then we become Lord and master in how we live. And we don't submit ourselves to God and his word to us. We take his word and say, I'm in charge now. I'm the captain
1: now. I'm the one who's getting things as I want them. When we interpret the Scripture, observation, this is what the Bible
0: says, interpretation, this is what it means, application, this is how we live it out. When we interpret the Scripture, one of the truths that we have to come to, and the
1: book of Joshua is going to speak to this repeatedly, and how we read the Bible, is that God is okay with things that we are not okay with. Think about that. We understand the concept that God
0: is not okay with things that we are okay with. What I mean by that is this it is not surprising for somebody to hear, especially a Christian or a church or a preacher, say, Hey, that thing that you're doing over there, God says that's sinful. And he is calling people to turn away from those sinful things and turn to him and his way of doing things, right? That's a basic idea, right? Jesus came on the scene they were doing things a certain way and jesus said hey what are you about you religious hypocrites stop it you you who are openly sinful and wicked repent and sin no more we're used to this idea that there are things that we are okay with that god is not okay with what we are less used to and i would argue far less comfortable with
1: is the idea that god might be okay with things that we are not. Am I saying that God is
0: okay with imperialism, expansion? Is God okay with slavery, which
1: I mentioned before? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, in our lives, there are people, places, situations, and we think, God, you need to fix that right now.
0: That's the priority. And God might say, you know what? Actually, you're making a big deal about this thing over here when really the thing I need to deal with right now is this thing
1: over here. It's possible that we might look at Christians from previous generations and say, how could they do that? How could they support this idea, this teaching, this practice? And God might say to us, it's not okay. But you know what? They weren't going to listen to me on that. So I took them where they were at, and I dealt with them as I could and as they were willing to receive, and I did what I could. And that's how I come to terms with really difficult figures in history. Martin Luther,
0: not Martin Luther King, although he's important too, but Martin Luther, the German priest who who was the spark plug for the Protestant Reformation, was also a racist. He was also anti-Semitic. He was also somebody who was very fallible in the ways of his generation. And yet God used him, and God changed him. And God worked in his heart a message of grace returning to the authority of the Scripture
1: and brought about, I believe, a positive change in the Western world. And yet, He is a guy
0: who had all of these complexities and problematic beliefs and practices. And what do you do with that? And you say, oh, maybe God is okay using somebody that I'm not okay with God using. Maybe God would say, hey, look, that is what everybody believed then. And they weren't going to listen to me on that. They had the scripture. They had the Holy Spirit. It's not like I wasn't telling them that racism was wrong. It's not like I wasn't telling them that anti-Semitism was wrong. It's that they just wouldn't listen yet. They weren't ready to hear it. And here's what makes us more uncomfortable. How many things in our day and age, we might look around and say,
1: why is God using them? Don't you know? God's saying, yeah, but they aren't going to listen yet either, but they will listen about this thing. So I'm going to use them.
0: And that's what's happening. And how many things in our day and age are Christians in our day and age, we're just like, truthfully, we just won't listen to God. And God's like, all right, I'm going to take you where you're at. I'm going to use you. And there's going to be some generation later on that's going to look back at us and say, God, how were you okay with the things that we are not okay with? Why weren't you coming down hard on those guys? Because that's what we would have done. And God's saying, you know what?
1: I used them. As As they were able to submit to me, I used them. And maybe there are things out there and we look at that and we say, oh
0: my goodness, why isn't that God's number one priority? And he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts
1: are not your thoughts. I am dealing with things that are far beyond your comprehension. And this thing that you think is the worst
0: thing in the world, or most important thing in the world, and I'm just going, okay, but this is the thing I'm going to focus on. And we're going, God, why are you okay with this thing? Why is it that when you tell your people to invade a land, it's okay, but we look at our own sinful history of imperialism and expansionism and, and genocide
1: against indigenous peoples? and we're horrified, and yet it seems like you told your people to do the same thing. Well, This is where interpretation comes. First, interpretation would tell us if God is saying to do something, then it's okay. And what do I mean by that? Think about this. How many people have bad views of things that God calls good and holy? How many people have bad
0: or or warped or broken views of parents because their parents were not holy or were not righteous, and yet God has said, honor your father and your mother. How many people have broken or bad views of marriage because the only experiences they have had of marriage have been bad or broken, and yet God calls marriage holy? How many people have bad or broken views of government, even though government was instituted by God? says in the book of Acts. How many people have bad or broken views of the church because of understandably toxic church experiences, really harmful, abusive church experiences that they have had,
1: and yet the church was created by God, is used by God, is still the primary vehicle through which God works. Interpretation says, you know what, hey, if God is doing this, then God
0: knows what he's doing. And if we have a broken view of it because of our own sinful history, our own sinful experience, we
1: can't let that speak into what God was doing. Rather, we let God speak into what he is about. How do you apply all this? God told his people to go in and drive these people out.
0: God told told his people to go in and take the promised land. Look, there's no way to get around. You have to talk about Israel, right? You have to talk about what's happening right now. I'm going to give you my opinion and it's just my opinion. And if you think I'm wrong, who cares? I'm just a guy, right? And if you think I'm wrong, that's what I said earlier at the beginning about dialogue and discussion over directives. And that's why our small groups are so important because we have conversations with each other and we push back and forth and we say, hey, did you really mean this? Could you clarify that? Hey, if you considered this We have the humility to reason together with one another. Hopefully, God willing. Here's my opinion. When we're talking about Israel, I believe that there is a biblical mandate to care
1: for and support the Jewish people. I believe that biblical mandate has been ignored, if not outright disobeyed, through large, massive portions of the church experience. I believe there's a prophetic excitement and support about the modern state of Israel. And at the same time, it's my opinion: Israel is not the group or entity through which God is working in this current day. God is working through
0: the church. And we as Christians cannot ignore Christian communities in the Arab world. Christian communities in Palestine, Christian communities in the West Bank, Christian communities in Gaza, Christian communities in Lebanon, Christian communities in Jordan, Christian communities in Egypt, and all across the Arab Muslim world. And beyond our own brothers and sisters, and again, we should have and cannot ignore our brothers and our sisters who are suffering. We have to have and must have care and concern for non-believing Arabs because they are made in the image of God and they are beloved by God and Jesus died to save them. And if they
1: have that much value to God, then we must care about them. All of us have to fight to keep Jesus central in our theology, in our policy positions, and in our practice.
0: And that's not easy. When we talk about application, here's this observation. Moses is dead. God's talking to this guy, Joshua, is the new leader, and he says, Joshua, get the people ready. You are going to go into the promised land, and you are
1: going to conquer it, subdue it, drive out the inhabitants, and you will take it as your own. That's observation.
0: Interpretation says, okay, I'm going to wrestle through what's going on. And As we go through the book of Joshua, we'll get more
1: in-depth. We'll, we'll wrestle through these things in interpretation. But I'll tell you this. I know that God is holy. And if God is leading, or was leading his people to do this, then it was a holy thing. Application. Okay. land of Israel is the promised land of the Jewish people. That's an application. So therefore, I support the right for israel to be there but that application
0: doesn't wipe out the fact that there are also non-jewish christian communities
1: that have been in that land for millennia and who are currently suffering and just because i personally
0: support the nation of israel and because i personally support the Jewish people worldwide. That's actually a funny thing. You'll hear people say, oh, we have to support the Jewish people, we have to support Israel, and then, they're like, then they'll say something super anti-Semitic against uh, Jewish people that live here in Portland or in Los Angeles or in New York or whatever. But just because I care about the Jewish people worldwide and I personally support Israel and believe it should and must exist, I can also have a nuanced view about things. I'm not a a robot, an automaton that just says something without thinking. I can look
1: and say, hey, you know what? What happened when Hamas attacked in October was terrible, shameful, evil. But you know what? Maybe there are people suffering in Gaza because of
0: evil practices or policy decisions in response or before by the Israeli government. Things can be complex and nuanced. That's why all of us have to fight to keep Jesus central in our theology, our practice, and our policy. If I make Joshua chapter 1 or the book of Joshua only about conquering territory or a political position or whatever, then I miss Jesus who was above and beyond politics. People were trying to get him to set up an earthly kingdom, a military rulership, fight the Romans, and he rejected all of that. His practice was to love the needy and the downtrodden. And right now, people suffer in Gaza and the
1: West Bank. Now, again, nuanced. Is it all because of Israel? No. Is there, when, I, when I hear people say things that are manifestly untrue, like that Gaza is an apartheid state, untrue. Gaza has been, for years now, controlled by the Palestinians.
0: They have a border to the south with Egypt another Arab nation, there are so many things that are untrue about the narratives you hear from my friends who are, let's let's be honest about it, my friends who tend to be liberal. And there are also things that are untrue from my friends who tend to be conservative and very pro-Israel. They never want to
1: talk about any of the bad stuff, any of the stuff that Israel might be doing that you're going, hey, that's not okay. So we're going to get into this book of Joshua. And, and people are going to understandably want to talk about what's happening in our own day, and I'll say this.
0: Jesus is front and center. That's all that I care about. The book of Joshua matters because it's in the Bible, because it tells the story of God working and moving among humans. The book of Joshua challenges us to engage with the Bible because we don't want to miss something. It, it challenges us to engage with God's word in a way that doesn't skip a step so that we just see what it says, and then we go straight to the application. We go straight to the allegory. We go straight to the metaphor so that it fits our world, and we can either be this or that, pro-Israel, pro-Palestinian, anti-this, anti-that. I'm just going to make it all about me, and it forces us to stick to that interpretation. What's actually happening?
1: And the book of Joshua is going to be so important, quite honestly, because we see God's faithfulness, God's working, God's moving, even when people don't deserve it, even when people are, are not faithful to God. Because Jesus is the God who saves us. Jesus is the one who came down in all this brokenness, all this mess,
0: and said, hey, I'm going to be around you guys, and I'm going to reach out, and I'm going to care, and I'm going to heal, and I'm going to fix this brokenness. And in this promised land that they're about to enter, in the city of Jerusalem, one day, we saw this when we studied the book of the Revelation last year, there will come a day where Jesus will rule and reign from the city of Jerusalem, Jerusalem means city of peace. It has been anything but that throughout human history. But Jesus will make that true that Jerusalem will be the city of peace and his rule and reign will be one that is truly righteous, truly peaceful. In the meantime, the question is will we surrender ourselves to his righteous reign, his peace? Or will we continue the rebellion and the war against him and say, I'm going to keep. Fighting and doing my own thing. And there are people that want to keep fighting and doing their own thing right now. They would rather that I, you know, hey, I'm going to teach the book of Joshua the way that I want it instead of the way that it actually says. There are people that want to keep fighting God and his rule and reign in their own world and they say, I'm going to support this or I'm going to support that or I'm going to do this. God, you're okay with something that I'm not, so I'm going to say, screw you, God, I'm going to do my thing. Or, I'm okay with something that you're not. I know better than you, God. And Joshua is challenging all of that. And he's saying, here's me in my time. This is what happened. This is how God moved. This is how God said, this is the way to go. And when we went, it was good. And when we didn't, it was bad. This is how God said, this is the way not to go.
1: And when we listened, it went well for us. And when we didn't listen to him, we had all kinds of problems. Here, is Jesus among the mess saying, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give
0: you rest. And maybe you're the person who like the people of Israel, you were in captivity to sin, you were enslaved to sin and God has brought you out and now he is saying, hey, I'm ready for you to go into the next step to the
1: promised land to be done with all of the mess and the brokenness and to step forward into something better. Maybe you're the person for whom studying the book of Joshua is going to have to, i got to think now,
0: I can't just go with the, the, the kids' church version of the, the kids' Bible version of these stories, I have to really dig into it, I have to get uncomfortable, yeah, maybe that's what's happening. But know this, as we study the book of Joshua, we will fight to keep Jesus central in our theology and doctrine. We will fight to keep Jesus central in our observation. We'll fight to keep Jesus central in our interpretation, and we will fight to keep Jesus central in our application, because if we don't, then we will get off base no matter what result we come to. If you have any questions, you just want to say hi, you can reach out. Like I said, you can follow us at Faith on Hill on social media. You can like and subscribe to our online content, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, You can check us out, join us in person on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. God bless you. We'll see you next week as we get deeper into the book of Joshua.